greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's good to have another privilege to be in the house of the Lord. I trust and look to Him to have our hearts stirred. Right given direction, is it not? Some of you may wonder why I'm here and not David Burkholder. Uh, He was scheduled to come, but he has the what John called last week, the American malaria, I think. And uh, he's a pretty sick man, so let's pray for him. All right, why don't we, uh, I know you were just standing, but let's all stand to our feet again and commit this next hour to the Lord. Father in heaven, we are glad today to be the apple of your eye, your church. And Lord, it's because of what you've done. It's not because of what we've done. And Lord, we just sang a song about our will. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take our will and make it part of your plan. Whatever that is for our lives. Father, we pray that you would stir us up this morning in the most holy faith. Pray, Lord, that you would take us from where we are in the given direction of where you would have us to be. First of all, in our personal lives and in the life of this congregation. Lord, I know that there would be many things you would have to say to me. And Lord, I know there would be many things that you would have to say to the people of God in the day that we live in. And I just pray, Lord, that whatever feeble words I utter here this morning, I pray that the Word of God could be spirit and life. Pray, Lord, the things that I say that you would anoint to the hearer. And I pray, Lord, that you would take the feeble attempts that I give this morning and somehow encourage the saints of God in the holy way and the holy path that you have chosen for your people. So, Father, I pray that you would work in our lives today, work in my life. I believe you have been working in my life, and I pray that you would continue You've been working in many lives here, and we pray that you would continue, Father. Have your will in our lives here today. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I have uh, given what I have to share this morning. I've given a title. Thinking about a couple of different things, I've at this point anyhow chosen to call it perseverance of faith, or we could say perseverance of the saints. After I chose that, I thought about that a little bit, and I thought, well, that's a statement from somewhere. Where is it? Earl's smiling. He knows what it is. I did a little bit in discovering it's John Calvin's Pea of the Tulip. And I'm not planning on talking this morning about John Calvin or whatever his meaning of the perseverance of the saints or the faith really means, but I trust this morning we can look into the Word of God and consider the perseverance of the faith or the perseverance of the saints. You know, this morning I'd like for us to consider there is a saving faith when we commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a saving faith there that God offers to all of humanity, and we make that choice to respond to that faith and put our confidence in Him, as Acts 4.12 says, there's no other name given among men whereby we can be saved. 
and we choose to cast our lot with Jesus Christ and put our faith in Him. And I so appreciate when we have young people that are about to step into the baptismal waters and some of the questions that sometimes get asked to those dear saints who are about to step into the water about their life. And I would like to say some of them questions are right along the line of the perseverance of the saints. When the question is asked, did you turn your back on the world? Many times they will boldly say, yes, I turned my back on the world after they make their profession of faith, of course, in Jesus Christ. Are you going to live a life of denial? Yes, I will live a life of denial. And we make those profound statements, and I appreciate when we make those profound statements, and then we walk out of that water and we have a whole long life process to make of what we heard in the devotional this morning, and that is making right choices. And God is a God that gives that, falls right into our laps about making right choices in life. And when I talk about perseverance of the faith this morning, the word perseverance means determined continuation with something. Steady and continued action or belief, usually over a long period, especially and especially despite difficulties or setbacks. That's the word perseverance, and that's along the line of what I'm thinking this morning. And what I'd like to stir us in when we think about the perseverance of God's people going in a given direction. A couple of things I'd like to just share this morning, some thoughts that have been going through my mind over the last couple of weeks. And one of those questions is, what does the Christian life really look like? I'd just like to think about some of those questions that would stir through your mind since it's been stirring through my mind. One of the things that came to my mind, and we talked about it in a prior brothers meeting, I think it was, we talked about some of our Western Christian ways of living. And, of course, we were discussing the whole subject of movies and courageous and all of that. And we say, is that actually what the Bible teaches? You know, the man in the movie that got his everything he wanted seemingly. Now, I realized there was some perseverance in there. But we, we looked at that and we said, is that the Christian life? And we kind of shook our heads and agreed, no, that's not, that's not the heart of the real Christian life that makes strong Christians and that motivated me to be asking the question, then what is what is right? In other words, if we can look at something and we can take it apart and say, that's not it. That's not what we want. Then I think it's right that we raise the question this morning, then what is it? What is it? If something isn't right, then what is it? So that question has been going through my mind. And another question, since I heard that David wasn't coming and before I knew he wasn't coming, was going through my mind. And that is... What does it mean to live like a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth? You can turn to the book of Hebrews a while because we're going to spend a good bit of time there. But Hebrews twelve thirteen is the familiar verse where it talks about they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And I'd like for us all to raise that question then. What does it mean to be a stranger and a pilgrim in this earth? I think it's good. I think it's right. I think it's healthy. For us in our personal lives to raise that question, then what does it mean to be a stranger and a pilgrim in 2015 where we find ourselves today, in this culture, in this time, with our current experience? What does it mean to be a stranger and a pilgrim on earth? And I'd like for us this morning, 
If the Word of God will do what it did to you, and I'm going to be honest with you, I shed a lot of tears over the last 24 hours, couple of days, as I was pondering scriptures, I was pondering my own recent life's experience and where all God took me in life. And I look back over some black moments in my life, and I wish it wasn't part of my Christian experience, where in some ways I feel like I've grown cold, I lost my way, I did all those things. I uh, even embrace somewhat of a watered-down gospel at times, and I look back with some regrets, and I recognize the need for some revival in my own life, some relining of focus, and all of those things. And I'd like for us to just go on a little bit of a journey this morning in that whole area and just open our hearts up before God and let God speak to our hearts, where am I really at as a person? Because where I'm at as a person is going to determine where we're going to be at as a congregation in the years to come, based on where I'm at as a person. This church will never go any farther than what you and I are. And that's an un, it's, it's an awesome responsibility that we as men have as leaders in our homes, as leaders in a congregation. So where are we at this morning? And I'll be honest with you that I, I sometimes... And, and maybe I'll just share just a little bit of a testimony. I talk about my, my, my past and where I currently find myself as a believer in Christ today and as part of a leadership team as a church. Yesterday I was doing some ponderings with the message and all those and I was doing some reflecting in my own life and I still remember, I don't know if I ever shared it here or not, I still could take you to the place where I was sitting in the Sunday school room back at Faith Mennonite Church, probably somewhere around the year 1992, maybe 93, soon after I was converted. And I sat there, and I was a timid, shy, in-the-shell person, newly converted. I had a lot of right goals in life and those kind of things, and I was finding my way. I I was finding that assurance of salvation and all those kind of things, and I was sitting there, and I... I don't remember what was even said in the Sunday school class, but where I felt impressed of the Lord that someday <clears throat> I would probably have something to do with leadership of a church. And I, 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 a wave of emotion came with that. The Lord took us different places in life. I didn't know what all that meant. And I went through some air of my life where I was a pretty critical person of leaders and churches and all those kind of things. Some of those history paths I look back on with a lot of regret. The Lord took us on a journey as a family. Took me on a journey. And here I find myself today and part of a leadership team of a church. And I confess to you, sometimes it looks really big. Sometimes it looks really big. Sometimes I shed a lot of tears over that awesome responsibility. And I want you to know that sometimes I shed tears of joy and blessing and rejoicing that I get to be part of a leadership team of a congregation that loves the Lord. That's also part of it. But it's also an awesome responsibility to think of that the day and the age and the generation that we live in. So I just want you to think about some of those reflections that I've been having in my own heart and mind as we consider where I'm going here this morning. I'd like to think this morning, as we think of Hebrews 11, about the heroes of faith, and right on the heels of that, I'd like to think of the tragedy of Esau. And I think as we go along here, you will determine why I am uh, talking it about the tragedy of Esau. You know, Esau in Hebrews 12 Verses 16 and 17, and you can turn there now if you'd like to, just to look at it. It says here, 
Here we have Esau. It says, lest any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know afterward, when he would have inherited a blessing, he was rejected, for he sought, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. That verse always got my attention when I think of the choice that Esau made. He found himself at a place here where though he sought for repentance, he found it not, even though he sought it with tears. So I'd like to think about the heroes of faith and the tragedy of Esau, who for one morsel of meat, he sold his birthright. You know, and we know the story. We don't really need to turn there for sake of time, but we could go back to Genesis 25, I think it is where he comes into the field and he was hungry. He had an immediate need and he wanted this need fed and met. And, uh, of course, his crafty brother Jacob saw his opportunity to steal his birthright. And, you know, the, the Hebrew birthright, as I understand, was something valuable. It was something to hold on to. It was something to, to, to grasp a hold of and to, to, to keep it. It was something of value. It was something of great price. And because of his want and his need for some temporal benefit, he was willing to just pawn that thing off to get the temporal benefit that he wanted at the time and later in years. And I don't understand, maybe some of you Bible scholars would understand better why he's actually called a fornicator and a profane person here in the book of Hebrews. However, because of the choices he made to, to satisfy his his uh, temporal uh, wants and desires and longings, he was willing to frivolously just pawn that thing away. And I'd just like to suggest this this morning. I believe in the Christian church and the Christian realm. I believe in what we call the pilgrim church of our day. When I say pilgrim church, the plain churches, I believe there are many, many young people. I believe there are people that are just frivolously, because of the natural longings and appetites, frivolously tossing away that birthright. Even though at one point they put their faith in Christ, at one point they did step into those baptismal waters and they made those commitments, I will do this, I will do that, I will do the other thing. And because of testings and challenges that come down the road, they frivolously give it away. This morning, as we think of Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to do just a little bit of reflecting possibly in Hebrews chapter 11. But this morning where we are really going... We want to end up in Hebrews chapter 12, and this morning the message is going to be a wherefore and a therefore message. You know, any kind of instruction that is given alone possibly here in Hebrews 12 does not bring us salvation necessarily, but it's by putting our faith and our trust and our confidence in Christ in the finished work of Calvary that brings our personal salvation, and we all know that most of us have experienced that, and that we see in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 11, we have the Hebrews, the, the heroes of faith, that successfully ran their course, and they made it. And it's beautiful. And we read Hebrews chapter 11, and we have to say, praise the Lord. We see Noah's faith, his obedient faith, that motivated him to do what he did, and he did it, and he completed it. And he was a faithful man, and he died a faithful man. We have Hebrews, uh, we have Abraham who was willing to leave his homeland there and go wherever God led him to go. And we know the final chapter, we know the life of Abraham. It wasn't a perfect life, but he lived a life of faith based on the promises of God's word and he made it. 
And we go through the whole book of Hebrews and we find ourselves encouraged. Do we not? Hebrews 11 encourages us. We have men that have made it because they put their faith in Christ. And then we come to Hebrews chapter 12 and the first word is wherefore. And Hebrews chapter 12, up until we get to, this is what encourages me. It is what I shed many tears over. It's what I look at the lukewarm church of America. I look at the drifting church amongst the pilgrim people of God, and it gives me a tremendous burden. And this morning, I'd like for us to consider, as we look at the book of Hebrews chapter 12, that it is a, a, a chapter that goes down there for the wherefores, and it gives us the instruction of what we're to do in the Christian life so we can finish successfully. And one of the things that I'd like for us to consider this morning, and where we want to eventually end up and possibly spend a greater part of our time, or at least get our punchline at, is where it gets into verses 12, 13, and 14, and 15, leading right up to where it says, consider Esau. And that is where the Word of God says, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, to make a conscious effort, to make conscious choices in life, to do certain things, to make straight path for your feet, lest that which is, part, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. And, you know, the book of Hebrews is a uh, chapter 12 here. After all those heroes of faith, then it says, here's the instructions. Here is the things now that you need to do so you can stay in the faith. You know, sometimes I think we get the idea that if we just get ourselves spiritual enough, we really have faith. If we really have faith, we really love the Lord. We really have a deep relationship with the Lord. And we do all these things right when it comes to our real love for the Lord. Then all these things are just going to work itself out through Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll be that. And I guess the question I'd like for you to consider with me this morning and raise the question, is that what it actually says in Hebrews 12? Or is it saying, because you have cast your lot with the people of God... Because you have put your faith in Christ, because you have chosen to be the apple of God's eye, because you have done that, now you're the bride of Christ. I want you to be a holy people, a holy nation, a peculiar people. I want you to do all that, and because of that, I want you to make these conscious choices in life so that you will maintain that through life. That's where we're going this morning. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. My wife wondered this morning if I have my notes along, and I said, well, maybe I'd do better if I didn't have my notes along, and she wondered if I'd give them to her. I'm not quite about to give them up. Hebrews chapter 12, um, that is where we're going here this morning, and we want to go down through Hebrews chapter 12, and we want to lead right up until uh, we get to Esau and look at some of the instruction that's given and have our hearts stirred this morning. That's where we want to go. And I want you to know this morning when I am talking out of Hebrews chapter 12, I'm thinking about the personal life of Brian Nolte. I want you to think about your personal life. I want you to think about those things. And I also would like us to think about the life of this congregation as we go through that. Because this congregation will never go farther than that we're going to go in our own personal lives. So that is what I'm thinking this morning. And I think having said all that, we'll now go. I was going to talk just a little bit more about a pilgrim, and maybe we should do that just a bit here today before we go into it. But I believe 
God calls us, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, there as it's talking about the heroes of faith, He calls us to live our lives in this life as strangers and pilgrims. Are you, do you consider yourself a stranger or a pilgrim? You know, I think the church of Jesus Christ, I don't think we need to make a lot of noise about it, but I think the church of Jesus Christ has gotten too accustomed to living too close to the world. I really believe that, and I believe it hinders us from living a life like a stranger and a pilgrim. I really believe that. Strangers and pilgrims, aliens or foreigners, we're from another planet, another country, another universe. A foreigner, somebody who comes from a country that is not your own. Are you part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Are you part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Amen. That's right, you are. You're part, you're from that kingdom. And we are just traveling through this, right? And I know I'm faced with the same temptations as you are. It comes very easy to become accustomed to this world. We have all the comforts that this world offers us. We have and make a lot of money. Do you make a lot of money? I make a lot of money. You make a lot, I know you don't want to raise your hand, but you make a lot of money. We make a lot of money. And we can, with our money, buy a lot of comforts. We can do a lot of things. We can build garages for our chariots. We can, you know, we can go down a, a long road of what we can do with our money and we can become pretty comfortable. We can. And we can, we can, uh, wander from living like a stranger and a pilgrim. And I say today, God help us. God help us to realign our focus this morning. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 and consider some things. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to just kind of go down through these verses, uh, break them up in a few different parts. Let's read 1 through one through 4. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and right there we see it, he is the author of, of our faith, we say amen. We, we, we chose to cast our lot with Jesus Christ. We put our faith in Him. And only in His that is, is our salvation. But here we see the perseverance, what I call the perseverance of the faith, that carrying through the faith, He's not only the author of your faith, He is the finisher. And only if we allow Him to be the finisher of our faith are we going to successfully make it like those men of faith did in the, the book of Hebrews 11. He's the finisher of our faith. And I believe this morning we're going to follow, let's follow the prescribed remedy that he has for us here in Hebrews chapter 12 so he can be the finisher of our faith. That's where we're going. And let's keep on reading in verse 2. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, throne of God. For consider him that endured such great great contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I want to talk this morning to us about dealing with besetting sins. That's point number one here this morning, is dealing with besetting sins. I believe in our personal life, God calls us to deal with those sins that hold us back, that set us back in the Christian life. Some of us, I believe, even in this congregation, are nursing petty sins that we're not willing to get a hold of, to to get rid of, and we are nursing those sins because we like those things and we're not willing to let go of them. And this morning, I would like for us just to take some consideration. Is Is it worth hanging on to these things? 
It talks here of looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him. And this morning, I would like for us to consider Jesus Christ. I would like for us this morning to consider uh, him. Uh, it says here, you've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Jesus is our example, and I'd like to very carefully say, even though I say he is our example, Jesus never had any personal sin to deal with or take care of, but he did take care of sin. And I'd like to look this morning at Hebrews, uh, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not Hebrews, Luke chapter 20, if you would turn there. In fact, it's Luke chapter 22, and I would like this morning, as we look at Luke 22, to have our hearts stirred a bit. As we think of the Lord Jesus not yet resisting unto blood, striving against sin. As I said, he had no personal sin to deal with. Yet he dealt with sin. And we have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And I don't know how you look at that when you look at the whole idea of him or us not yet resisting unto blood, striving against sin. But I believe there's a tremendous battle fought here in the Garden of Gethsemane when he dealt with sin. And I'd like for us to this morning, if we would look at how he dealt with sin and the battle that he went through and what he actually had in his cup and compare it to what you have in your cup and we can take that cup and we can give it to God this morning and deal with our sin like he dealt with sin, not his own sin. Let's just read chapter 22 of Luke. I think you're there. Uh, start at 39, and he came out, and when, as it, as he was wont to the Mount of Olives with his disciples also follow, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not as my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being, agon being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said, Why sleepest ye? Arise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And I think I will leave off there, but this morning, as the Hebrew writer says, consider him that endured such great contradiction of sinners against yourselves, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. You know, yesterday, as I was pondering this scripture before God, and I was thinking of the intensity or the immense battle that was fought there in that garden when Christ, in his cup, he had the sins of the entire human race, all of your sins, the sins of the whole world and what he was wrestling with there before God in great agony, even to the extent, I believe the intensity of that battle was so great, and I don't understand it, I don't profess to understand it, the intensity was that great that he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And it says here to us in the scripture this morning, consider him, consider him. And I'd like to ask us the question this morning, what is, it, what is it this morning that is in your cup? What is it this morning that is in your cup that's too big to get rid of? You know, Jesus 
fought an intense battle there in the Garden of Gethsemane for your sin and my sin. And yet we hang on to these things that set us back. You know, as a shepherd of this congregation, I know some of the things that you're struggling with. I know some of the the things that are in your cup and we hold on to what is in our cup. And it says, consider him. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I don't think we really grasp the battle that took place here in the garden over our sin. Some of us, it's hard for us to even look in our own cups sometimes because we see what's in there. And God wants us to give that cup to him. You know, some of the things that sometimes breaks my heart, we uh, we uh, go to great expense and we have an evangelist travel in from a far distant area and comes in and we have revival meetings. We go in and out of revival meetings and yet we carry things for many years sometimes in our cups that we know are setting us back and holding us back this morning. And I'd like for us to just consider... You know, as long as we nurse that thing and hold on to that thing, we'll never break through to God and we'll never deal with that thing. And I'd like for us this morning just to be encouraged to deal with that thing, whatever it is that is in our cup. And I'd just like for us to consider this morning, you know, many times, and this is probably when I look over my past, the biggest thing that I have to struggle with that many times comes into my cup, and that's my will. That's my will. And you know, that was the very thing that Jesus wrestled with when he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'd like to just just go to Isaiah for a little bit. And I know this is a familiar scripture to most of us here this morning. But I think it does us good when we think about the need to take that will of ours that wants to hang on to things, that wants to hang on to our identity, hang on to our life, hang on to the dreams and the visions and the goals that I have, rather than doing what Jesus did and just give it all to God, even our will. Isaiah chapter 12 here is where I believe it is Lucifer, it is Satan himself. In chapter 14, verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground? which didst weaken the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, and if you write in your Bible, I would take your pen and I would underline it. We have it, I believe, four times, maybe five. Verse 13. For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also in the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And the end of verse 14, I will be like the Most High God. You know, the biggest thing I think sometimes that we wrestle and we struggle with is it not, which is our will. And Jesus gave such a beautiful example here this morning for us how to deal with our will when he got to the place. He said, nevertheless, not as I will, but thine This morning, we need to take care of our will. We need to deal with our will. You know, Jesus went to stone cast away and knelt down. And He was all alone. And He prayed. Sometimes that's simply what we need to do. We need to remove ourselves regardless of what anybody else does. And we need to deal with that sin that we know is holding us back. That thing that we're hanging on to. That thing that we'd rather not look into our cup and see what's there. 
Many times it's our will that we're hanging on to. And you know, there's a beautiful thing here that happens in verse uh, 43. Back in Luke 22 now. I think it's 22. Yes, in verse 43. And it says, There appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. I wonder this morning how many of us have a testimony of where we got on our knees and we dealt with a given area on our life and we just sensed that burden roll away. And I believe that's when God will unleash, whether it's angels or what it is from heaven, that will actually encourage us when we make that step and we do it. It says an angel appeared from heaven strengthening him. And I think some, I think God is longing to strengthen us, but we have to take that thing, whatever it is in our cup, and give it to God. Deal with our besetting sin. We have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And you know, I think we need to learn how to wrestle with God until we break through and stay on our knees until the job is done. Let's go back to Hebrews 12 again. I think we'll leave off from there. I'm going to go back to Hebrews 12. You know, it says here in in verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross and despised the shame. I'd like to talk just a little bit about that joy that was set before Him. You know, Jesus Christ, I don't know what he had the ability there in his humanness to see or what he didn't have the ability to see, but we get the picture here that he saw that joy that was set before him in purchasing our redemption that motivated him to do. And I think sometimes Satan has many of his subjects, quote, Christians, he holds them in bondage because somehow they hang on to that thing. But this morning, I'd like for you to lift up your eye of faith, just as it was that Jesus saw the joy that was set before him, that that same joy that is set before him on the other side of that thing, if we'll take that thing that's in the cup and just let it go, there actually is joy on the other side of that thing. He says, who for the joy that was set before him. And this morning, I'd just like to make an appeal to the struggling Christian who's hanging on to that thing that's holding him back. Just take that thing before God and give it to Him because of the joy that will be set before you. And Jesus did it for us this morning. I'd like to have our hearts encouraged this morning as we think of that. But you know, I'd also like to consider the sobering reality that if we're unwilling to deal with that besetting sin, we'll be held a captive for a long, long time. I'd like to talk just a little bit, and that would be my next point about spiritual striving. It says in verse 3, For consider him that endured such great contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You know, sometimes we get wearied and we faint in our minds because of this thing. Do we not? It says, Consider him that endured such great contradiction of sinners. You know, sometimes we, we, we make excuses for our sin and we, we well, this person over here, that we, we make all kind of excuses rather than considering him. Rather than considering him, his very own that he was discipling, who were going to be the ones that were going to were going to be the church leaders after his death and resurrection. Those very ones fell asleep on him. He was alone when he wrestled with that thing. And I think we need to learn how to wrestle alone with our personal sin. And that's my encouragement does this morning to learn to strive and to struggle, because that's what it says in verse four. You have not yet resisted unto blood. Striving against sin. You know, if we consider Him 
and what he fought, what he wrestled through, what he struggled through. And I just encourage us this morning, let's not give up. Let's learn to wrestle against that thing until we break through. Let's learn to hate that thing that's in our cup with such a, a hatred that we're willing to take that cup and wrestle before God and give it to Him. Is it worth it? That's a question we need to raise this morning in our own hearts. Is it worth it? Is it worth holding on to that thing? Is it worth nursing that thing? Is it worth living with the guilt of that thing? And I know that some of you know what I'm talking about here this morning. You know, I know we we can't hide it. We can't hide it this morning. And I just want to encourage us this morning. Let's learn to strive and wrestle with these things that we need to wrestle with. Isaiah 50, why don't we just turn there? This is a scripture that I've always appreciated over the years and has given me some encouragement from time to time when I need it. And I'd like this morning for the wrestler that's wrestling with this thing. You know, sometimes the things that are in our cup, they look so big, so ugly, and so many sometimes that the easiest thing is to just ignore it and then we get weary and we stop wrestling, we stop finding, fighting whatever it might be this morning. Isaiah 50, verse 7 is a verse that has always really encouraged me. And it's actually a prophecy here of Christ because right before that it's talking about uh, verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked out my hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And then he says in verse 7, For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. I'd like to encourage you this morning that God will help you. God will help you deal with that thing, whatever it is that we're nursing and holding on to, that besetting sin. You don't have to be confounded. And then he says, therefore have I set my face like a flint. It gives the idea of somebody that's striving, somebody that's that's not going to give up and stop wrestling with this thing, somebody that's going to deal with this thing. Set my face like a flint. All right, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, I would like to uh, I would like to talk just a bit before we end up land down there at verse uh, 12 through 15. And I don't know that I'll make a lot of comments. Probably ought to make some comments here as we look at uh, verses 5 through about uh, 10. I think it is maybe even 11. It refers to the chastening hand of God. It refers to chastening. Those things that we endure, those things that don't always feel good. And I'd like for us to just consider the chastening hand of God and just at least read over these verses here. Verses 5 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had the fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be subjection to the Father's spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. For now I'm just going to leave off reading right there. 
I know all of us probably understand the chastening hand of God. It refers in this passage of a father and how a natural father chastens his child. And I know you fathers are made up of the same thing I am. Sometimes it's one of the hardest things is to be disciplined enough to give that child what we know that child needs. But if we really rise to the challenge under the daddies and the moms that we need to be in our homes, we will see on the other side of this thing. And we will see, even though this is not going to make any sense to this child to inflict the pain to his backside that needs to be inflicted. We're willing to do it because we see on the other side of it. We see the results of it and we see the Bible here calls him a bastard. And now we know that's kind of a strong word in our English language. We look at a bastard and we almost we, we, we can almost hardly say it because we just don't call people bastards. But bastard here means simply an illegitimate child. I think the last time I would have studied that word, that's what I found. An illegitimate child, not a real, it's just not a real, uh, it's just it's something wrong with it. And you know, we live in a society where there is... Uh, uh, Little disciplining being done, and we are seeing the results around us is devastating of children who aren't disciplined. Children who aren't disciplined. And you know, I'd like for us to consider, I don't understand God's dealing with me. Some of you are going through challenges in your life. I think especially of Tim and Cheryl coming home from the mission field, just trying to figure out God's chastening hand, trying to figure out all these kind of things. And I'd just like to encourage us this morning, if we're living in some of that chastening hand of God, let's actually look at it as what the Word of God here says. It's actually a loving thing. You know, we don't understand that, do we, Tim? It doesn't feel that way. Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourges every child that He receiveth. You know, it's just an amazing thing. God's chasing hand, according to verse 6, is evidence of His love. It just says it plain as day here. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You know, it's a evidence of God's love for us when we are experiencing sometimes that chastening. Now, I would like to also say as we think of the chastening hand of God, when I look back over my past, my history, my Christian experience, I know there was times there was things that were in my cup where I needed the discipline of God. I needed the hand of God in my life. I needed those kind of things because I made choices where I needed some good, healthy discipline from my Heavenly Father. Those things have happened. I also believe that sometimes we go through life and just because we are living on this side of eternity, we are dealing with life. We experience the chastening hand of God. It can come through death. It can come through sickness. Think of Darcy Warren's accident. I can think of a lot of different things that we experience in life where we deal with God's chastening hand and we don't ever understand it on this side of eternity. What will we understand in eternity? I don't know if we'll see the whole picture of everything that went on down here or not. But I also believe that that is what the essence of the real Christian faith is. If he is going to be the finisher of our faith, when we can deal with the chastening hand of God, even though sometimes we simply are not going to understand it, and we just need to take it as a loving hand of God when we're dealt with one of those blows and we wonder how we'll, we'll ever make it through life and just accept the chastening hand of God and find the grace of God, His faithfulness to walk through whatever that is. And I'll never forget somebody told us that. You know, different times my wife and I wrestled through many things sometimes wondering about uh, ha- having a home with a special needs child, you know, and we, we, we hear all these, some stories of people, you know, if they just had enough of faith, if they pray hard enough to do all this, do all that, you know, God might just do an amazing miracle and heal things. And what brought us a lot of resign 
and peace in our lives. And we realize, you know, sometimes it actually takes greater faith and more faith to deal with what God dumps on our lap. And God can actually be glorified through that, through us finding the grace and the faith and the encouragement to walk out the Christian life, even though there's sometimes things we just simply are not going to understand. And I would have to say that is what has encouraged me with this passage of Scripture as we think of some of the modern ideas of Christianity where a man, all of a sudden he has a child on the way, he's winning his game, and he gets a brand new pickup truck, and his life, so to speak, just comes back together and everything's good. That has not been my experience. That has not been my experience. I think sometimes we experience those material blessings. And I think when we experience those kind of material blessings, that gives us an awesome, amazing responsibility before God to take whatever God blesses us and use them for the kingdom of God, not for ourselves. And I think that's where we need to be challenged how to live as strangers and pilgrims. And I need your help and I trust you'll need my help so that we can live this life like that. That's my encouragement to us this morning. So let's learn and let's allow God when he uh, does those chastening things to just simply recognize that that means I'm a legitimate child. I'm a child of God. Now, that doesn't mean just because we're experiencing some sort of challenge and trial in life that we're a child of God. We're only a child of God if we cast our lot with Jesus Christ. But if we cast our lot with Jesus Christ and we're walking and we have an open heaven over our life, and we're experiencing some difficulty, then we can just find the grace of God to live in the reality of that difficulty that we're experiencing, and then we can rejoice in the fact that this is part of being a child of God. may never understand it on this side of eternity. In many ways, that has been my experience in life. There has been many things that came my way that I didn't understand. And my heart is even encouraged today as I look into the future. I shared a little bit of a picture of some of my wrestling sometimes when I think of giving leadership to a church in the culture and the day and the generation that I live in. Sometimes it looks big and then I'm reminded of God's faithfulness in the past 22 years of my Christian life and my heart is inspired and encouraged. We're going to keep going, aren't we, Earl? Brother John and the rest of us men in this congregation, we can keep going. We can keep going and we can live successfully. We can live out the Christian life. You know, verse 10 says, where am I at here? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. We like to refer to this one. It says, for they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Isn't that beautiful? He gives us these things sometimes to make us holy. You know, we take our child into the back room and we uh, give and exercise some godly chastisement. We do that because we see on the other side. We want this child to be holy when this thing is all said and done. Do we not, dads? That's why we do it. That's why God does it to us and we don't always understand. But verse 11 says it all. No chastening for the present time seems to be joyous. Ask your children. But grievous, nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? It's not a joyous thing. The difficulties that God sends our way aren't necessarily joyous, but they can be a blessing. So may we be encouraged, even though we go through dark times, times we don't understand, times we can't figure out. Uh, Maybe that baby isn't on the way like it was with Mr. Courageous back there or whatever his name was. The baby wasn't on the way and those kinds can be difficult, dark times, but we can be times of building our faith, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'd like to spend the rest of our time in the rest of these verses here. Uh, verses uh, 
12 through 15 is where we'd like to land here and look at these verses, consider pretty much the rest of the message. It says, Wherefore, lift up your hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Do you feel sometimes like your hands are hanging down? You feel sometimes like you have feeble knees? Feel sometimes like our world is just falling apart? Sometimes we just need to pull ourselves back together and keep going. That's kind of how it is. Whether we're, we're dealing with some besetting sins that are holding us back right now, and we just feel like the wind's out of our sails, we're a bit confused, we're frustrated, we just wish we could deal with this thing. It just stares us in our face, and we've not, we've not been able to take that thing and let go of it. It makes us weary, whether that's our situation. Or whether we've just been experiencing the, 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 uh, some, some chastening from God because of former choices and decisions that we made. We need our hearts to be encouraged this morning because there is forgiveness for us. There is uh, redemption for us. There is healing for us if we are living with the reality of our bad choices. If I, w- if I would just uh, decide that, you know, just get frustrated when I look back over the last 22 years of my life and just focus on those things and dwell on those things and think about how much further ahead could be in my Christian life, then I'll keep walking around with my hands down and feeble knees and be unhealthy. Or we can get a hold of God, get a hold of the grace of God. We can turn our back on those things and we can lift up those hands that are hanging down and we can make our knees straight and we can walk in the Christian life. May our hearts this morning be encouraged as we think about that. Verse 12, verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which be lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Now let's keep in mind as we're going along here this morning where I started out at, And what I shared at the beginning, you know, it's because of my faith in Christ, I'm going to do that. You know, I just poured myself before God over this verse here. It says, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. You know, it does not say, maybe maybe you're going, you can correct my theology after the message here this morning, but it doesn't say, get your life Right with God. Get the right kind of love for God. Do all these things for God and then at some point you'll be able to look back and you'll be able to see a straight path because you did it. Now, that is, that is the gospel truth. We get all those things right. We get a relationship right with God. We do all those kind of things. I'll never forget the feeling, my testimony. When I knew I turned over the rocks, I dealt with my sin and I had a clear heaven and now I was able to chart a course. But I think most of us have lived the Christian life long enough to know that it is our God-given responsibility that we make a straight path so we can walk. And it says here, but let it rather be healed. And I'd just like to give us some encouragement this morning. I don't know what your theology is in your mind, how you view the Christian life, but the way I took this, what God was saying to me, it is my God-given responsibility to make a straight path so that I can walk. And maybe I just need to be a little bit practical with you. Some of you aren't going to understand this language. Some of you will understand this language. If Brian Nolte had his own way and his own longings, his own desires, if he would meet him, Brian Nolte would drive a Peterbilt. Brian Nolte doesn't drive a Peterbilt because he wants to make a straight path. That doesn't mean I need to look down my nose at somebody. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that. But Brian Nolte knows what he came out of. He knows how that thing had such a grip on his heart. How that thing was drove his life. He didn't drive it. It drove him. He knows all those things. And I know that if I want to make a straight path for Brian Nolte to walk, every time I pull in at the shop back home and I drive past all the big fancy Peterbilts in Kenworth, I'm driving my thing for a reason because I need to have a straight path. 
Now, I could go buy a Peterbilt. I could do that tomorrow. And I think I could even buy a modest one. I, I, I could do all those kind of things, and I'd probably about have be okay. But I wouldn't make a straight path because I believe I need to make a deliberate choice and line that thing up and say, no, I need to make a, a straight path here. That way I'm not going to struggle with that thing. I drive in that driveway every time and I'm not, I don't think I'm spiritual proud of my, uh, what my brothers would call a funny looking thing. And that's okay. It might be just a little bit funny looking thing, but it's my way of making a straight path. I think we need to be proactive in our Christian life and experience and make a straight path. What is that thing that you're struggling with? I'm amazed at the young people that walk around with these phones hanging on their belt. And when I walk up to greet them, some of them can't look me in the eye. And I'm concerned why they can't look me in the eye. I think some of those fellows that you're enslaved to that thing, you're finding yourself going places on that thing, get rid of it. Do yourself a favor. Do yourself a huge favor. I am a, all for what we want to do as a congregation. Make some accountability. If we're going to have those things hanging on our belts, i tell you, we need it. I get a little envious of our church up there, Harmony. They decided that if you don't need that thing for business, don't have it. And I'm not, I, don't, I don't know how we make straight paths yet. We haven't figured it out. Have we, Earl and John? We haven't figured out how to make a straight path yet. You see where I'm going with all this. This is where I was landing. This is where my burden came from. This is what got me stirring yesterday on my knees before God as I was thinking about this straight path. You know, in our personal lives, we have got to learn how to make straight paths. You know, if the kind of work I'm into, the thing that I'm doing as a man, if it's my hunting, if it's my fishing, if it's my hobbies, if it's those kind of things that are trapping me from being a daddy in a home, get rid of them. Do something with it. Make a straight path so we can be the spiritual leaders in our homes that we're called to be. That's where I'm going. And you know, this morning we'd like to think, well, we just got to get our life right with the Lord. We got to get the right kind. We got to do all that we, we do. You know, we get, we get that, that part right and then we're going to one day be able to look back and we're going to see a straight path. This is what's gripping my heart yesterday. I think we're looking at it wrong, what I'm seeing here. We are, this is the wherefore and the therefore. That's why I'm in this book today because we just came through the book of Hebrews. We see all these men of faith because of their faith, because of our faith in Christ. Now I am going to choose to do this. Part of what gives me a burden of these kind of things, you know, I, uh, I, 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 uh, I enjoy watching people. I, now, now I'm going to make you feel uh, funny. Uh, no, I don't really. Um, I do kind of. I can park in a parking lot if I'm waiting for my wife to come out of the store. And it's kind of fun sometimes to watch people and the funny, strange things they do. And they probably watch strange things I do. But nonetheless, going back to the whole idea of watching things and people, you know, you get these ideas of people that got this super spiritual idea. Well, let's just focus on the spiritual life. Let's just focus on the spiritual life and everything will come out right. Right? That sounds so spiritual and it sounds so right. But what's wrong with looking at it if we got our spiritual life right? Let's now make right choices so we can keep that spiritual life right. Is that biblical? Is that the heart of God? I think that's the heart of God. I really think it is. Not very long ago, we got an invitation to a wedding in the mail. Of that whole idea of, of somebody think get the spiritual life right. And it comes in the mail and I look at that and say, yeah, they really love each other. They're not married. What happened here? I, I, I'll tell you what happened. There wasn't a straight path made. Somewhere there wasn't a straightened path made where somebody made a choice that, you know, and this comes from somebody in some place where they, at one point, not many years ago, they made a straight path. I mean, it was promoted, it was lifted up, it was talked about, pure courtship, hands-off courtship. Those things were all made and then kind of deviate a little bit down the road of let's just focus on the spiritual life, right? Let's focus on the spiritual life. Everything gets right spiritual. We get that spiritual life right. 
And then these things come in the mail. And I'm not being critical. Uh, we have our work cut out. Yes, we do. We have our path to make, our choice, choice, our course that we need to chart. But I think it's good for us as brethren to think about these things. To think about these things. To think about making that path. You know what it says right after this? I didn't get done with reading this yet, did I? Make straight paths for your feet. Let that part which is lame be turned out of the way. You know, this whole thing can actually be rooted in spiritual pride. It can be. Lest that which is part, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. Do you have any lameness in you? Huh? Do we? Do we have any lameness in our congregation? Of course we do. It doesn't say if there's a less that which is lame. We do. Right now, there is things that I do because my body's kind of lame. I don't walk around my house stocking footed these days because right here on the front of my foot, it hurts bad because I was chasing my son-in-law trying to catch him. And I think I stretched something in there. And for the last month, if I don't have support in my foot, I'm lame. I walk with a limp and it hurts. And I have to be proactive and wear shoes right now to walk because it hurts. That's a little bit how it is in the Christian life. You know, we all have that element of lameness. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. Let it be healed. You know, there's healing. There's healing. You know, sometimes I think we can make the Christian life just a little bit too difficult. And then we wonder why things aren't coming out right. And we weren't proactive. We didn't make a straight path. Maybe I'm elaborating on this too much. Maybe you have to straighten me out when we get all done here. I don't know. But let's learn to make straight path because we have that that lameness. I don't know if that's a word. Lameness. We, 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 we're part lame. You know, but let it rather be healed. Do we want to be healed this morning? That's why we, we need to we need to be proactive in these things. Let it rather be healed. Okay. Uh, let's look at uh, 14 yet. You know, some of these verses, let, let's just remember, we're doing this. We're doing this because we put our faith in Christ. Verse 14. Such a beautiful verse. Follow peace with all men and holiness. This is sobering. Without no man shall see the Lord. Gives us two, two instructions right here. Follow peace with men and holiness. Without, no man shall see the Lord. You know, it's so easy to water down the gospel, isn't it? So easy to water down the gospel. You know, if I'm understanding the Bible true here, it means if I'm not holy, I'm not going to see the Lord. I mean, that sounds pretty straightforward. But is it not simply the truth of God's Word? We're to follow peace. Peace with my fellow men. Peace with the brothers. Follow peace. With all men and holiness. And if I don't have it, I won't see the Lord. That's pretty sobering. But I think sometimes it's good just to take the Word of God at face value and say, wow, this is what it says. This is what it says. And remember, lest we become like Esau. Lest we become like Esau. Holiness and peace with men. Let's read on here in verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I'd like to talk just a little about diligence. You know, I think we need to just, I think we've got to rise to the challenge and the diligence and be the leaders and the fathers in our home that we need to be. Diligence. Lest we fail the grace of God. Pretty, uh, it's pretty sobering to think about that this morning. We need a holy motivation, do we not? We need a holy motivation. We need diligence. We need all those kind of things, lest we fail the grace of God to do what is right. I'd like for us this morning, just in closing, to think about something. 
And I, I'd like to, as I said, my if you want to call it a main point or a main theme, is that whole thing of making a straight path for our feet. That was where largely most of my ponderings were. I'd like for us here in closing yet to just give some thought and attention to these kind of things. And as I told you this morning, I, with the heart of the message of what I'm thinking about, I'm thinking, yes, number one, first of all, about our personal lives. And I'm thinking, secondly, about the life of this congregation. Okay, that's what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about these verses and what I like our stirrings to be directed towards this morning. And I'd like to look at Hebrews 11 now. You can just turn back there if you're still in 12, one page back. Hebrews 11, and I just like to think, uh, make a make a couple of points. Maybe look at one more, one or two couple of scriptures yet after this. But Hebrews 11:36 it says this. Now we 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 we've uh, and I think Gary Rohrbach back at Harmony years ago talked about these verses right here, and my mind went to him again. You know, we look at the men of faith, we look at these these patriarchs, the example of faith, uh, the, the the giants of faith that did great things for God, and then verse 36 it says, and others of trial. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they without us should be made perfect. I'd like uh, us to consider this morning, how many of you experienced cruel mockings this past week or month? Any cruel mockings taking place among us? How about scourging? Who was scourged for their faith this past month? Nobody was scourged for their faith. How about stones? Was there any stones flying? I actually I had a stones flying the other week. That was because of a severe case of road rage, but that wasn't because of persecution. We're not being stoned, are we, these days? Uh, how about any salt asunder? They were cut cut in half. I mean, was there any bloodshed this week? They wandered in in sheepskins and goatskins, in caves and rocks in the mountains. I mean, this is pretty brutal, is it not? This is pretty amazing to think. This this was real faith, was it not? I mean. If we live, how many of you would enjoy that if we lived in this time? We live in a time where we had, we had, I mean, we had stonings. I mean, we had to, to do some ordaining and some, and, and some things because some men were thrown into prison and, and some were cut in half, never to be saw. I mean, this is, this is real, this is real persecution. This is, but you know, this isn't our experience, is it? This is not our experience. Let's go to Revelation now. You know, these were errors of time. This was this was happenings. This was time. This was this was actually what some people's experience was. And you know, I look back, and I'm thankful that that's not our experience. Are you thankful that's not our experience? You know, in a lot of ways, we're blessed. That's not our experience. But, you know, I think it's good for us just to let it weigh deeply on our hearts that we are challenged. We don't live in that time back here. There is another time frame where we are living in today. And that sometimes looks pretty overwhelming when we think of the future of good, healthy church life and experience because of the time that we're living in. And some of you know where I'm going. 
We can look at different churches of the seven churches of Asia, but I have landed on the one in chapter 3, verses 15, and I'm just going to read it. And I just, I'm not reading this to, to just make us, uh, uh, you know, I don't even know how to say it, but just that the sobering reality of the time and the air of Christendom that we live in, I think is more damning and dangerous to our never dying souls possibly than it was back there in Hebrews 11. It's where we live. Let's start at 3, verse 14. And the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things say as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the create. The beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, I will spew thee. And neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Knowest thou not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. Right raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness does not yet appear. Doth not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Now, I am not about to take those verses apart. I'm not about to even reflect on those verses a whole awfully lot. And maybe I should be very quickly to say that I believe that we can chart a, a right path. We can do all those kind of things in the Christian life. And we still have a heart that's cold and lukewarm and all that. I, I believe in that. I really do believe in that. But I also would like it to weigh on our hearts this morning as we think of the time frame that God has us be the apple of his eye in, is what I think we would probably, Bible scholars would all agree, is the Laodicean church age, where we are in a lot of ways living in a time frame where it's very easy to be a rich, poor church. That's the time frame that God has chosen for us to live in. And you know, that's pretty sobering. And I don't have the answers. I really don't have the answers of how we should do church life. First of all, let's think of our personal life, but I don't really have the answers as to how we should do church life living in a Laodicean age where it's quite a challenge to keep the spiritual temperature up where it ought to be, where we have lives yielded and surrendered to Christ. That is challenging. And the other element of it is challenging. It is that we can chart that course and make a straight path so that we can walk so that part which is lame don't be turned out of the way so that there can be the kind of healing in our church so that we don't have to deal with some of the struggles that the church is facing that doesn't chart a course and make a path. And I'll feel successful this morning with, if, if I could just impart to you, you know, brethren, I think it just ought to behoove us, it ought to motivate us to get on our knees from time to time before God and ask God that He would help us build His church his way so that we can chart a straight path through this course so that this thing's all set and done. We can have a church that is the apple of his eye and that Christ can be the finisher of our faith. That's what I want. 
And even though God breaks my heart sometimes and it looks overwhelming and I wonder how in the world is this thing ever going to work out. At the same time, my heart is encouraged because it isn't John Ray's church and Earl's church and Brian Nolt's church. It's not your church that he's building. It is his church that he's building. And I believe and have enough of faith and I believe you have enough of faith too that if we get before God and we determine what does it mean to build this church in this day and age and this generation, I think God will help us. Do you think he will? Yes, he will, because it is the apple of his eye. And we can be that church. And I'd just like to take the time to say, you know, you dear people will have to be patient with us as a leadership team. We, I think, all agree that we haven't always done everything right. And I think I can say the heart of John and Brother Earl, and I know it's definitely in my heart. In some ways, I feel like we as a leadership team owe you an apology in some ways, because we are a, what, a year and a half old or more church now. And, you know, we haven't always done the best at conveying to you, especially as what we would call newcomers or visiting visitors or whatever. Uh, you know, those of you that came on board since the Harmony Days of conveying what our vision and our goal and our path is that we're going to charge. And I'd just like to say on behalf of all three of us, you just be gracious with us and you help us. And let's together determine what the God of heaven would have us to do so that we can chart a straight path in this day and age and generation that we live in. And I will feel very comfortable this morning and encouraged if I know that all of our hearts are sobered together as we think of this great task that God is calling us to because God wants this fellowship right here at Oasis Christian Fellowship to be the shining light and the apple of his eye in this day and age and generation that we live in. Why don't we stand for prayer? And I'm going to do something just a little bit different and maybe just a little bit unusual. I feel like God would have me to do this. I'd like all of us to close our eyes And I'm going to close my eyes also. I want every eye to be closed. And I'd just like to, all of us to examine our hearts here before the God of heaven. And I'd just like for us to think, we talked about that cup, what is in our cup. We talked about those things that beset us. You know, I believe some of those things that beset us can just simply be a lack of faith. It can be unbelief. It can be all kinds of struggles. It can be... You name it, what is in your cup. And the real you is crying out for help. But the real you has not been willing to pay the price. And to deal with that thing, whatever it is. And I'd just like to encourage you this way. I want every eye to be closed, including my own eye. If you know that you have a struggle that is holding you back as a Christian and you are not free in your heart because of you name it. I want you to slip your hand right up and right back down again. And I would just like you to encourage you by acknowledging that, that you have a need. And I would really like to encourage you this morning, if that is you, that you would talk to somebody before the end of this week that would help you take care of that besetting thing that is holding you back. Let's uh, keep our eyes closed. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We thank you for your love to us as a fellowship, as a congregation. We thank you, Lord, for the word of God. We thank you, Father, for the church being the apple of your eye. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us an example 
how to deal with the things that are in our cup. We thank you, Lord, that you were willing to, the Lord Jesus Christ, lay down his life, give everything up, and take that heavy cup which had all of our sin in it. And deal with it, Father. Help us to deal with our will. I pray, Father, you'd bless those that have raised their hands, those that have not raised their hands, that have needs in their life that they know needs to be dealt with in order for them to be a finisher of the faith. Give them the courage to talk to somebody that would help them to take them to the foot of the cross and let it go and pay the price and go whatever steps need to be taken through to find the freedom and the health and the healing spiritually that's needed. And then I pray, Father, that you'd put it in the hearts of us as a leadership team and the leaders, the men of this, the homes. Father, that we as a church could chart a course, chart a path, Lord, that would enable us, Lord, to be able to have a fellowship that would be a beacon and a shining light and a same safe place to raise our families, Lord, that we can make the right choices to chart the right path, Father. I pray you'd help us. Bless this fellowship and this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.